This is the voice of Carnage, and you are listening to Carnage Cast. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 59 of Carnage Cast, the podcast about the Carnage Game Convention and tabletop gaming in Vermont. I'm Tyler, and with me is... Ray. Hi, how are you? Doing well, how are you, Tyler? Good, welcome back to the show. Thank you, thank you. It's been two weeks since the last episode. Yes. We're in the post-Christmas, uh, now what stage? Yeah, the post-Christmas pre-New Year stage. That time of year when it should be quiet, but you keep finding yourself doing holiday parties. Yeah, the, the never-ending string of holiday parties. Mm, so much eggnog. So much. Oh, I love eggnog. I love eggnog. But this is not eggnog cast, ah! regrettably. That will be a spin-off show. Yes, a spin-off show, eggnog cast. No, Ray, <laughs> you, however, have come to the show today with a topic. I have come to the show today with a topic. Uh, and actually, this is um, a topic idea that I kind of would like to... A concept that I would like to explore further throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to plug right now that you can email us at podcast at carnagecon.com. Yep. Uh, so if you have ideas like what I'm going to suggest today and what we're going to present today that you would like us to talk about, please feel free to send them in and we will review them. And things that we are capable of doing, we will. Mm-hmm. Things that are way out of line, we won't. Mm-hmm. But the concept is is a friendly debate on something to do with gaming. In this particular case, we're going to talk about the differences between running a one-shot RPG session and running a full campaign. Um, Tyler is going to be four one-shots. Um, I didn't know we were making this antagonistic. We are making this antagonistic. I, I am not going to engage in antagonistic debate. It's we, not, we can it's have, not, it's we can not have antagonistic. a comparative discussion. That's what I want. It's comparative discussion. So Tyler is going to be pro. Nope. Not pro. Nope. But I'm not saying you're con anything. I don't, I'm not going to be con. I'm going to be explanatory. Okay. He's going to be explanatory. Explanatory. Mm-hmm. For one shots. And he's going to talk about the benefits of one-shot campaign. Yeah, I'm also going to acknowledge the drawbacks. And the drawbacks, right. And I will talk about the good and bad points of regular of a full campaign. Mm-hmm. I do believe is the best way to put this. And we are... This is not going to be a fight. We are not going to get into an argument and, and throw fisticuffs. Um, not in my house, you're not. Uh, <laughs> and I'll also point out that uh, this is within the context of role-playing games. Yes, this is in the context within the context of role playing games, um, but you know if you want us to talk about you know the good and bad points of something else to do with gaming. Basically, if you want to hear us uh, talk about a topic, you should email us. You really us. should. You podcast really should at carnagecon.com. Yes, podcast at carnagecon.com. We're going to continue to plug that for a while here, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> podcast at carnagecon.com. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, I'm going to get things started uh, talking about the pros of campaigning, mm-hmm. um, and we'll, we'll each do our pros and then each do our cons afterwards, I think is probably the best structure for this. Um, so, for me personally, I... Well, let's, let's set up the wider parameter. What do you okay. mean by campaign? What I mean by campaign is a continuous, regular play session where... Your players are playing the same characters mm-hmm. in the same world, and 
what they do has lasting effects over the sessions over a long period of time. So uh, a, a, a continuing narrative over many linked sessions. Yes, a continuing narrative over many linked sessions is sessions is the very concise way to say that that I should have said in the first place. <laughs> Thank you for summarizing my words appropriately, Tyler. See, we work together. We're not, <laughs> we work we're not together. adversaries. Yes, we're not adversaries. Thank you for summarizing my words well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have both played and GM'd in long campaigns, things that have lasted close to a year, if not over a year. Okay, so you're talking like not just six sessions, but six months plus. Yeah, six months plus. And you know, some of them were you're playing once a month, some of them are you're playing every other week, some of them are you're playing every week. Mm -hmm. uh, as I've gotten older and had more responsibilities, the every week thing just kind of has flown out the window. Yep. It's not a good concept anymore. But, you know, back in my younger days, it was much easier. Right. And I have also run one-shots at conventions and, and various other times, but uh, I prefer the long campaign style because as somebody who enjoys world building, it allows me to create a Im more immersive experience for the players. And I really get to have, I mean, some of it is personal. Some of it the players probably never even see. I create towns and NPCs that the players never even go to. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can store them for later use, so I can do, you know, sessions in the same world if I want to. I feel that the PCs care more about the people around them and tend to be a little less anarchistic when it comes to playing in a campaign. Uh, with, they get invested. Yeah, they get invested. They understand that there's long-term consequences mm -hmm. and they are a little less... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Little Nihilistic? Less, a little less laissez-faire with their characters. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> is low investment in PC survival. Right, right. There's, there's a much higher investment in, in PC survival when they know that they're going to be playing continually with the same characters mm -hmm. for a long period of time. And, does, and, and does, in this case, does uh, PC survival necessarily equate with prosperity or just continued existence and interaction with the narrative? Continued existence interaction with the narrative, I believe. Um, prosperity to some extent. I mean, there are some players out there that really like to see their characters uh, create a general wealth for themselves. Yeah. And, you know, they like to watch from, I was a lowly adventurer just starting out on my trek to now I own three castles and, you know, two of them have moats. Yep. But uh, sometimes it's just, oh, wow, this my character met this NPC back in this town and they fell in love and I really want to, you know, expand that. So more of a moral or uh, a less monetary prosperity. Right. It's, it's, it's not just about having money right. or loot, but it's like... A spiritual... My, my, and... Yeah, my character's grown as a person. Now they have stature within the society and exactly. so forth. Exactly. And so uh, you're saying that players come into a campaign wanting to make that investment. Or, or, or you're saying that it sort of mitigates against the, oh, I don't care about my dude, I'm just going to make a new one. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that everybody walks into that because there are those occasional players that will play in a campaign and they just want to watch the world burn. Mm -hmm. But the general, I would say, you know, the... 70 to 80 percent of the people really enjoy the immersing themselves into the world and yep. and having some sort of influence on the world too that they get to see the lasting impressions of that 
um, you know, hey, we killed this prince because he was really a demon or whatever. Well, now we get to see the fallout when nobody realized that the prince was a demon and they think we all killed the prince. Right. Yeah, you have to convince everybody that the prince was a demon or, you know... Exactly. And I think it offers up more opportunity, at least in systems where combat is also a heavy aspect of the game. I believe it offers up more role-playing aspects to be in a campaign. Right. And you have the opportunity to further develop role-playing nuances. Exactly. Although uh, I had a sort of a contrary experience, when, uh, but the, only, the, one, the longest campaign I ever played was Carrion Crown, which is a, a prefab campaign from Pat, for Pathfinder. Uh, and over the course of the campaign, I found that my uh, sense of... I mean, I've never been a high acting kind of role player, but I found it was actually, my acting was actually dropping downward as the campaign went on, on. I think it, that might have just been like comfort with the group and how our, our comfort with our individual play styles but I sort of went from well my guy is you know like ex-noble and he doesn't like peasants towards like everything's fine we're just gonna kill monsters right right you might say that was the evolution of the character but I don't think there were any dramatic notes along the way it was just it was the just way how I, you ended way up playing, playing right it. and that could very well have been just like you said you know the group and and how you played and all of that yeah because um, it, 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 that is an instance where a campaign does not quite have the flex you were describing. Right. Where, uh, you know, the, the GM is going to always, the consequences are always going to be positive or negative. They're, they're going to rebound in some way or another. Carrying right. accounts are like, well, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then there's a dark rider you have to catch. Right. And I do agree with you. And, and that is honestly one of the cons to, uh, one of the cons I was going to bring up about running a campaign is that if you don't have a group of, people that really enjoy the role-playing aspect, if you have more hack-and-slashers as opposed to role-players, mm-hmm. then it creates a... A campaign situation is bad in that sense because all your campaign ends up being is dungeon crawl after dungeon crawl after dungeon crawl after dungeon crawl. Right. It's just kill monsters. Tag that the is, plot tokens. Right. You know, kill monsters, loot treasure, go on. It basically becomes a game of munchkin. Um, but And yet more mechanically rewarding than a game of Munchkin. Right, and more mechanically rewarding than a game of Munchkin, but uh, definitely it just, it just, you know, okay, we cleared this dungeon, on to the next dungeon. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it feels more like playing uh, a game like World of Warcraft or something like that, where you're just constantly killing things. And right. There's very little, you know, there's a storyline there, but you're just kind of clicking through it. Right, right. But the the value of the campaign is that it can with the players who want to engage with it, you can develop it and it becomes richer for it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Earlier you described that you like to build worlds. So how did, mm-hmm. how, what is your experience with players interacting with that? Was it, is there like a break-in period where they have to learn the world before they feel comfortable exploring with it? Because you're, you're conveying... So, you're, you've created something in your head and then you translate it into a role-playing experience. How are they interacting with and learning about the world in a way that keeps them engaged and not like... This is just a wall of lore that I can't penetrate. The What I do to avoid that is I usually start the characters off in a small, uh, relatively isolated area. Little village of Hamlet. L- little village or maybe a, a small town or city. Um, and, you know, you give them some basic background information for that area, you know. So this is the ruler, this is, you know, how life is, this is where you've grown up. Mm-hmm. And then I have a whole world outside of that that's already, you know, in motion and going and things are happening. But 
what's going on out in that greater world isn't affecting this small community in any major way until the adventurers go out and then they start to meet new people. It's almost like reading a book to some extent where you start off with the character and you're just learning about the character's new area and then mm-hmm. uh, you know the character starts their hero's journey. Um, so using the pyramid model. Yeah, the pyramid model. Start with exactly. a point and build down and out. And build down and out, right. Now, I've already got the entire world built, but the, char- the PCs, the players, they learn about it in a pyramid model so that eventually they get to the point and they're like, oh, well, yeah, my little town was part of this greater kingdom. But, you know, the king's decisions really didn't affect us that much outside of maybe, you know, taxes go up or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, build from there. So. Right. Um, because otherwise you're right. That's exactly what happens. There's this wall of lore that people walk into. Yeah, like, that's, that's generally been my experience when somebody says, I've created a world that I want you to play. And I was like, I can't, don't have time to learn your world. Yeah, I don't have time to learn your world. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do this. And that's exactly it. And that's, um, I've done it. Yep. I've done it to people, honestly. I've said, oh, here's this whole world I had, and look at all this stuff. And, like, you basically end up trying to hand them a packet full of, you know, a, a, a book's worth of information. Yep. You just got to read this 90-page packet. Yeah, you just got to read this 90-page packet, and you'll be fine. And it's like, that's just, yeah. that's too much to ask of anybody. Yeah, if, you're, if you're not getting academic credit, that is too much reading. Exactly. That is too much reading if you're not getting academic credit, and if it's just history. Mm-hmm. Because that, when you're building a world, that's what it is. There's no excitement. There's no, you're not mm-hmm. going anywhere. You're just learning dates and times. It's a history class. I'm reminded of an example uh, from a podcast interview I listened to once with the designer of Swashbucklers of the Seven Skies, I believe. Uh, he, he was relating how he, had, he was spending time developing the history of the, of the Seven Skies world, and he was like, and I realized... I had so many pages of so-and-so became the king, and then this happened, and then that happened, and I realized that was not germane at all to the players. Yeah. So it was, he was realizing he needed to focus down on what was actually going to be germane in a play session, and not the, the dynasty's history. Exactly, because after a while, that's just... Yeah, it's, 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 it's superfluous. A, yeah. you, you, you have padded your page count admirably. Yeah, exactly. You know, you've had your page count, and... Uh, now you have 128-page supplement. Yeah. Um, so, and that's why I enjoy, uh, and I've actually found some really great, uh, programs out there that help with that. Um, and I'm actually going to plug a program right now just because I really enjoy it. Uh, it's called Realmworks. It's by Lone Wolf Development. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just released it last year and it's a whole world building guide. There's no map making system on it. So you have to import your maps from somewhere else if you want to use maps with it but you can put in character information and they just recently released their player supplement for it i think the player supplement is 9.99 i want to say it's either 9.99 or 1999 um and what it is is that players can actually uh pull up information on their mobile device or an ipad or on their laptop while they're at home while they're not playing and they can review session notes Mm -hmm. um and you can reveal what information you want to reveal to them. So you can have this whole profile for the king. And, you know, maybe the only things that they know is that, you know, the king is 60 years old and he's been king for the past five years. But as they learn more, you know, the queen, you know, the queen's name or, you know, that he's been married three times, you can slowly reveal that information to the players mm-hmm. and they can have access to it and, and look at it outside of the 
play session. Right, you're reviewing layers of information. Exactly, and it's all layered like that. And the the whole program uses uh, like Wikipedia style linking. Mm -hmm. It's really simple to use, and I absolutely love it. And it was well worth the investment. And they do provide uh, for small fee. They provide cloud storage, so you can store it on the cloud, so you're not saving everything on your computer. Mm -hmm. um, now, how do how do people how do players interact with that? Do they have to be using your computer if you're not using the cloud storage? Um, if you're the only way that the player, you have to be using the cloud storage to, for the players to be able to access it from their, um, little things, but there's actually, they've got it set up for a dual monitor technology. Okay. So GM you, screen and a player screen. Kind yeah. Of thing. A GM screen and a player screen. So if you want to, you know, hook it up to your, you know, a, another computer that all the players can see, and then you're just working from it behind the scenes. Um, and there'll be just basically a separate window and say, this is what you've revealed. Mm -hmm. And you'll be able to see what they're seeing and know what they've been revealed. Okay, um, so it's less of an expectation of, this is something you're going to be referring to outside of the game. Right, it just, it's what, I haven't had a chance to really use it in a campaign yet, um, which because I haven't run anything in a while. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that really kind of, when I was reading over it all and everything, when they were still in their beta stages, I was like, what this is going to be great for is that person who misses a session. Right. Because, oh man, guys, I can't make it. My kid got sick. All right, you know, that sucks. We hope your kid feels better. Now you don't have to spend the first 20 minutes of the next session catching them up. Mm -hmm. They can just go on, you know, they can check their stuff and, you know, while they're sitting in the doctor's office or, you know, on lunch at work, they can check it from their mobile phone or whatever and be like, okay, this is what happened. This is the new information. And they can get all caught up. Um, you can actually just send out session notes that way and all through this one program. So it's, I really enjoy it. I really do like it. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a very impressive piece of technology and it really works for campaigning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hadn't. I've I've dabbled a little bit in stuff like that, like uh, collecting session reports and storing them in a wiki or a blog. And my personal experience was, with at least with those particular players, it was just there was not any engagement with it. They didn't. It wasn't a valuable thing for them. Right. So the the reward level on my part was really none. Yeah, and that's and that's the nice thing about this. And actually, the uh, the, the prices I, I quoted earlier for the player uh, thing, I do believe it is nineteen ninety nine. But you can buy it in multiples. So if you buy it like for five, you save, you know, X amount of dollars. So it works good if like a GM wants to get it for his, mm -hmm. it works good if a GM wants to get it for his play group. Okay. Oh, so multiple licenses can interact with each other? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so in the context of running a campaign, how, my, my, again, going back to my personal experience was it's right. super exhausting because I, I, in the times I've run campaigns, it was not uh, a prefab, or it, it was not a prefab campaign like something you get from Pathfinder. It was generally something I was pulling together from multiple disparate sources. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what what's your experience been in making the time to do the prep work, getting the prep work done, and then the the time investment in a game session? The my experience with that is that. Mm, I am constantly thinking and doing stuff. And as soon as I'm running a campaign, there's a notebook in my backpack at all times. Mm -hmm. And basically any free second I have where I come up with an idea, I jot it down. Um, and then most of the time I try to, whatever day the session's going to be on, 
Um, I generally don't run until like the afternoons or whatever, mm -hmm. but I take the whole day off from work in the morning. I combine all those notes that I've been picking up throughout the week or the you know past two weeks, depending on how often we play. Um, and I start to make those more coherent. And then I go into the session knowing that, you know, the session's only going to last a few hours. I don't have to have the next six things planned out um, perfectly. I only need, you know, the next two things planned out. Mm -hmm. And if something happens, you got to be willing to just go with the flow and make stuff up and keep notes as you're doing it in that play session so that you can then, you know, change up what you are planning afterwards. Right. So. And one of the advantages of having pre uh, prepared material in advance, like when, with your world building, is that you can, once you have mastery of the material, you can reactively adapt it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I'm, when I GM, I tend to like to let the players dictate the story more than forcing them into a story, which can be problematic at times mm -hmm. um, because some people just need to have plot points force fed to them. Um, yeah, you have to make that balance of I am feeding you information and you are leading me. Right, exactly. Um, I prefer to let my players lead me as much as they possibly can. Um, so I will give them... Here are six ideas of things you could go do. Now, granted, those six ideas probably are all going to end up in approximately the same place. Um, you know, okay, yes, the big bad villain that, you know, I'm going to have you guys confront is going to show up at the end of each one of these six things, no matter which one you choose. Mm -hmm. um, but which one you choose gets to determine, you know, how your characters grow. And I don't want to force the growth of the characters. I want them to grow more organically. No, no. I've heard some people actually argue against that, where the th you have six roads and then they all lead to the final point. I've, I've seen people argue vehemently that not to have a choice like that is no choice to ha for the final destination to always be the same for the final destination to always be the same is i disagree because half of the fun is the journey and that's six different journeys you get to take right but that means the other half of the fun is not having had an impactful decision on the final result except for the fact that if i don't tell you that this is how it was going to end Right, and, and that's part of the argument, is that that's mean deception. How is that mean deception? I mean, because, because you are presenting the illusion of a choice that does not have an impact on the final result. But it does, to some extent. I mean, there's nothing to say that the final, re the final result is you're going to meet this person, mm -hmm. um, say. But whether you meet this person and they are currently... Um, trying to steal a dragon's hoard of gold, or you meet this person and they are currently trying to assassinate the king. Oh, it's, so you're saying situations can change. It's the, not always the situation changes the person that you're going to meet. You're, you're reusing characters in different contexts. Exactly. Okay, That's I what I'm it. trying to I get say. It. I get it. I thought you were saying that there will always be the ultimate showdown of ultimate destiny. On, no. On Fate Bridge. Yeah, no. There, there will, it will not always be the ultimate showdown of ultimate destiny on, on Fate Bridge. It's going to be this, you know, this is your antagonist. This person is going to be your antagonist. How you come across this antagonist mm -hmm. is up to you. You're saying, screw you, I've already done this legwork. I'm using the character. Damn straight. Okay. <laughs> I am on board with that. 100%. I, am, I am not going to deny that in any way, shape, or form. If I create a memorable villain, you are going to fight that memorable villain. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I will not do 
is I will not allow a memorable villain the free escape clause just because I put a lot of work into them. If you get lucky and you crit the memorable villain and you kill him the first time you meet him, that's just my tough luck as far as the dice rolls went. Mm -hmm. It sucks. Maybe I'll reuse that character, that villain, for a campaign with different people at some point in time. Right. Um, but I'm not going to be like, well, he miraculously survives just so you can fight him again later because he was supposed to be your main villain. That's not fair to the players. Right. That, and that goes back to that social contract of right. like, our choices and make our choices matter, including how we spend our resources. On right. It. The oil of critting or whatever. Exactly, you know, and... I want some oil of critting. Where can I get that? Oil of critting? Um, I, I've, I don't know, but I'll make sure to talk to the vendor so you can get it at Carnage next year. Uh, but no, and, and that's exactly it, you know. I, I hate when, you know, it's like, oh, he miraculously survives. And you're like, oh, that was the big bad that the GM spent all this time working on. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're... There are going to be times where you're players are just going to surprise you with ingenuity and kill your big bad guy long before they're supposed to. And that's fine, because it turns out, you know, that uh, now there's a power vacuum and someone's going to step into the power vacuum. Exactly, and that's, that's what I love about creating a world like that, um, is that there's always going to be conflict. Mm -hmm. You know, unless you're creating Utopia, which is going to be one of the least fun places for adventurers to do anything in. Right, generally they're defending Utopia from something. Right, right. generally they're defending Utopia from something. You, you don't want to just create Utopia and, you know, all right, so today we went to the beach. Mm -hmm. you know, it was it's, nice. It was nice. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Uh, you want to have something that you need that conflict mm -hmm. to happen. And once that conflict happens, you cease to have Utopia. Um, and there's always going to be conflict, so... You know, maybe it's not major. Maybe it's not, oh, the king's gone evil. Maybe now it's suddenly you have to deal with the infestation of goblins or bugbears or something. You know, just mm -hmm. whatever it is. But that's how it goes. Okay. So when you're designing a campaign, how what are you thinking about in terms of the time frames? Is that a consideration you're making in advance where you're saying, like, I envision this, envision this being 12 sessions, 6 months? Or is it... You, you wait for the natural conclusion or for everyone's lives to change. I, that's generally what it is right there. I wait for people's lives to change, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, we can't play anymore. Or people just get bored. You know, occasionally people are like, you know what, we want to try something new. I want to roll new characters. I want to try a different system. Somebody come, you know, somebody who's been playing goes, you know, I'd really like to get, take a shot at GMing. All right. Mm -hmm. You know, you come to a conclusion, you know, the characters, you know, do what they need to do, they complete any loose ends they have at that point in time that they're really worried about. Or you say, okay, we're just putting it on hold and we'll pick it up again later and you never pick it up again later. Right. Um, but, you, but there is that, you are at least trying to work in conclusions. Right, you're trying to work in conclusions. Um, and that's generally what I found is that somebody else wants to GM. Like, I had this really great idea, I'd really like to GM. And it's like, okay, that's great. Because honestly, after GMing for a while, I like to be a player. Mm -hmm. GMing is exhausting. It, it, GMing can be exhausting, and there's, I can get into my world, but I can't get into my characters as much as a GM, mm -hmm. whereas when I'm playing, I really get to, you know, get into the personality quirks of my character and really develop the character, um, and the character becomes the world in that case, as far as how my mind works, mm -hmm. so. My, yeah, my, the, the campaigns I've run have always wound up being pretty short because it was a sort of combination of 
you know, it was a rotating cast of players. There was a varying levels of engagement. There was varying levels of of dedication on my part because it's like, oh, this new shiny thing over here. <laughs> you know, it, I think GM ADD could be generally can be a real thing. At least when you look at like discussion forums where people are like focused on the new hotness that means that they're running any given thing for like three months tops and then it's on to the new one then it's on to the new one right now it's so switching gears back from you know the pros and cons of campaign running here mm-hmm. to uh the pros and cons of one shots mm-hmm. um that's where i would assume a one shot would be better in the fact that if you are constantly you know if you can't get a group together on a regular basis and right it's i mean a one shot is it's bounded by a single sitting maybe two sittings if the material is exceptionally long um and the idea is that for every one shot you either create a new character for a predefined or at least a predefined sandbox or scenario or you're drawing on a stable perhaps like uh, i've been listening to role playing public radio and they're using a stable of characters to run through a series of linked one-shots uh, for Trail of Cthulhu, culminating in the rending box, which is exactly what it sounds like. I don't, we'll find out. Um, the, the advantages of the one-shot are that it's a self-contained thing. It, 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 you put in a defined amount of effort, and it's over. Uh, players uh, generate a character, not expecting to have to carry it through multiple sessions. So they're n- perhaps not as committed to crafting the perfect character with uh, an intricate backstory that the GM probably won't read. Um, generally, the, uh, the, it's, a, it's a more accepting atmosphere in a one-shot, so the GM will perhaps not be as, as big a stickler for mechanical concerns or uh, fitting characters in as providing the hook. And it, it, I think a hook is, having a good hook is key for people who are building the characters that are going to need to work together in a short time frame either a short playing time frame, even if it's a long narrative time frame. Right. And um, generally sort of the inverse of what you were describing earlier, where uh, low investment can become a benefit because people are more willing to take risks, as in the case of a Call of Cthulhu or a Paranoia. Okay, so you're, what you're saying is, is that there are some genres and game systems that lend themselves better to one-shots. I think there are some. I think I think one shots and and this and low investment overlap. It's sort of a Venn diagram. Right. It's possible there there are games and uh, there are there are styles of play that encourage uh, qualities in in a player and a character that that overlap with things within a one shot. Like um, paranoia. Most people's conception of paranoia is. Super low investment in characters because you're going to have a six-pack of clones you're going to burn through. Right. Um, some people who who are, are proponents of paranoia would say that, no, that's not the only way to play, but I think it's the dominant mode of play. And so that paranoia one-shots make a lot of sense because you're going to have a hastily sketched-out character who's going to be uh, assaulted and murdered on five to six times over the course of a session, and then you're out of clones, and the game is probably over at that point. Right, right. And... Um... In my experiences, uh, I've had a couple times where people have tried to run Call of Cthulhu campaigns. Yeah. And it fails miserably after about two, three sessions because by that point in time, everybody's gone. 
everybody's first character's gone insane, and now their second character has two, and yep. they're working towards their third. So I can see where something like uh, the Call of Cthulhu RPG would be much more situated towards one shot. Yeah, campaign play in something like that is difficult because the the system itself tends to grind through people and you wind up with that syndrome of you're you're in the last half of Masks of Narlathotep and you're driving, you're playing cabbies and cousins and maitre d's who met the PCs one night in a restaurant. Right. Uh, and they just happen to have been dra- dragged into it as a replacement character. Part of the one sh- part of the one shot appeal is that you 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 make a defined investment in your time. You're like I'm gonna we're gonna play this for a night and we will be done at the end of the night and we will have a full ideally we will have constructed a full narrative arc from exploration to discovery to climax. Right. Um, so right. I mean, it's just like running a uh, you know in in that sense, it's just like running at a convention, like a one shot at a convention or whatever. yeah. One shots are practically convention games. It's just. So you may also decide that these one-shots are going to be interlinked in the case of uh, role-playing public radio's uh, Trail of Cthulhu adventures I mentioned earlier. Right. So um, so you have uh, a bit more flexibility with the one-shot in that case if you're taking it out of a convention-style setting. Whereas, you know, you get a group of players together and you're like, okay, guys, you know, just wanted to do this. Everybody had a free night this month. Mm-hmm. Let's sit down. We're going to play this one-shot adventure and everything. And everybody had a really good time. And everybody's like, well, hey, we should do this again. And you seriously start to talk about it. And now you can kind of link it up and do a series of one-shot links, you know, one a month or whatever, however time frame you want to do it. Uh, whereas, so there was no initial investment of time. And if it starts to fall apart, as a GM, you feel like you've only lost one session, I guess? Well, you've not even lost it. You just you got what you expected out of it, and the, anything you get after, it, after that is an add-on bonus. Is an add-on bonus, right. And then, like, you know, if you do the work for the next one shot and nobody shows up, you've only lost right. that one. Whereas in a campaign, you are basically telling the players at the very beginning, hey... I want you to make a regular commitment to this. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think there's an advantage to making a regular commitment. When I was playing Carrying Crown regularly, I had Wednesday nights or Thursday, whatever night, because we, we shipped right. around a bit, but I had a night of the week blocked out and I made time for it. Right. And, and since then, I, my, I've found that generally when scheduling one shots, it tends to be more along the lines of, well, everybody has this night free except one person, so one person will not be playing. Right, right. And I can see where that would be a disadvantage. But I do like the... The flexibility advantage of you can start with a one-shot and possibly... Yeah, one-shots are great launching pads for campaigns. Right, where it can potentially turn into a campaign, whereas with a campaign, it's really kind of hard to have campaign turn into one-shot. You can't go in the reverse direction. Right, I mean, you could do things like, well, these are all your ancestors who also happen to know each other, and they did this thing 500 years ago. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't quite work out as, as well. And from a GM perspective, I feel like I would... Because I put so much time into the world, doing a one-shot in this whole world that I had planned out for a campaign would be highly unrewarding. Mm-hmm. Whereas building this little area um, to create a narrative in one session um, and having that come to fruition and then people going, hey, let's do this again some other time with these same characters or whatever, you know, a, a linked one-shot as it were. 
um, it feels like there would be a much greater GM reward in that sense. Like, hey, mm -hmm. we got through this one session, all that work I put in, everything came to fruition. Whereas a campaign, it takes four or five months for you to really feel like all that work you put in actually meant something. Yeah, and I think that's something with campaigns where you have to be careful to not... I've, I've found that there's a tendency to like, well, I'll save that for later when I think it's better to be making big, strong investments early on and then let new ideas come. Don't save it for later, use it now. Right. I forget. I, I can't remember who or what field this precisely comes from, but it, it's something along the lines of, you're always going to have good ideas, so just use the best one right now, and then you'll have another one. Have faith, oh, that's a, have faith in having another one. Right. That's, a, that's actually a great concept. And with something like one-shots, I can see where having... It's easier to take that mentality. It's like, hey, I've only got this one session. I've got to put all the good stuff into it now. Yeah. Or this is my best idea. I'm going to run with this one because it's really a night's worth of entertainment. It's not a campaign's worth. Right. But I can make a scenario out of this, uh, out of this particular concept. Right. Whereas and, running into a campaign, you're more like, well, I want to drag this out. Yeah, no. I mean, in a campaign, it's still one night. It's just then now yeah. you've got the night, the night after that, and the night after. Right, that. right. You have some feeling that you, you're, there's always going to be another session. Yeah. And I mean, that's great. If, if, if you really do have an idea mill where they just keep coming no matter what, you are set. Right. But uh, in terms of, of one-shots, I think it's an opportunity to let a polished I let the good idea get polished and really shine. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that's a, a huge advantage to one-shots in that case. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to the low in time investment and like, well, these are the... And in some, in some regards, you know, not being able to get everybody together is okay because you're only doing it once. It's not a freezing out of somebody from the playgroup. Right. And on top of that, you know, oh, you know, Jessica couldn't make it to this session. Um, but that's not to say that as a GM, you can't do that one shot again another time with Jessica and, you know, a different group of people right. than she would have been playing with in the first yep. one. A uh, friend of the show, Dan, uh, is doing that right now. He's running Fafnir's Treasure repeatedly for uh, Fate of the Norns. And I, he's, he's done two sessions now with two groups that I don't think are overlapping. And I believe he told me he had a third. Oh, see, and that's great. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's able to, you know, so, oh, wow, everybody couldn't make it to this one, but I got enough people for this one, yep. enough people for this one, enough people for this one. And you can keep doing that, and it's not affecting anything, which is another great aspect of one-shots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're repeatable, because once you have the, the kinks worked out after that first playthrough, you have something you can go back to. You right. can revisit it in a year after everybody's forgotten, or you can use it with a different set of friends, or take it to a convention. Um. And, and just to go back to uh, something you mentioned earlier uh, about the, there's, uh, the, the you, you can also take advantage of the idea of interlinked one-shots, like uh, my friend Toby's doing, where she has developed a world, she's, she's done the world building, and now she uses, uh, every three months or so, uh, she pulls a session of the game together. So there's still the interlinked progressing narrative, but it's built on a one-shot schedule. And, uh, you know, characters come and go as players are available because it's that kind of fluid, well, somebody went off to an outpost, they'll be fine. Kind got of, you, yeah. Got and of, that's kind of definitely, uh, yeah, you're not constantly having to, again, a downfall of a campaign right there is that the constant investment from the PCs, you kind of need them there because they're driving so much of the story. Whereas with a series of linked one-shots, it's not so, you know, they're driving major 
plot points, but not the entire story. Right, yeah. If you're going to have a campaign, I find it's, it's useful to build in a mechanism to where someone's not always going to be there. Right. There's You have to be able to build in... and. But I've played in some weird ways uh, in the past. We've had, um, there was one campaign I was in where I was a player and the concept was if you weren't there to play your character, your character became a cardboard cutout. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much on many occasions subject to all the problems that cardboard cutouts would have, such as getting soaked with water or getting lit on fire or <laughs> various things like that. Some serious harm could come to your character while you were gone, mm-hmm. um, which is definitely a problem with campaigns because campaigns tend to... I personally feel one of the best ways when you're running a campaign is to leave sessions on cliffhangers yes, so that people are excited for the next one, whereas a one-shot, it's done. There is yep. no cliffhanger at the end of the one-shot. Even with a linked one-shot, there's really not that cliffhanger aspect where, okay, everybody has to be back because we were just starting a battle. I don't know. I think I think I think there's value in having like ominous endings in one shots, but definitely you want to keep right. the action rolling forward in a campaign. Yeah, and um, a campaign's more like a soap opera where a one shot, a linked one shot, is more like a procedural drama or chapters in a in a film franchise. Chapters in a film franchise. That's a good analogy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, something I was going to say, but I can't remember what it was. It was oh, uh, and back to your point about players who can't uh, make it to a session. Dragon's Landing Inn described something their group used called going blue, where uh, characters whose players can't make it are sort of encased in a floating blue bubble, and they tag along behind the party, and they're, they can be pulled out of the bubble to apply their skills, but otherwise they're mute and immobile. That's a very interesting way to abuse the characters that aren't theirs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Special abilities. But like, they need the lockpicking skill. Yeah, we need the lockpicking skill and the rogue's not here, so... Yeah. <laughs> it, I, it, I think it goes back to that sort of older uh, sense of whimsy you'll find in certain uh, games and groups where it's like, uh, the dungeon's not completed yet, so there's construction tape everywhere. Right, exactly. Yeah, one of those situations. I can definitely see the... Advantages to running one shots over running campaigns. I still prefer to run campaigns. Yeah, I, I'm. I might just not. Ha- uh, I might not be at that t- point in my life where I'm ready to run a campaign consistently, or I've not yet found the players. Yeah, I've done it a couple times. It was. It felt a lot more tiring than I was getting any worth out of it. I actually followed a similar model as to what you described. Right, scribble notes during the week and then compile them all for the day of the session. Right. Just it. it, it the personally for me, I find GMing to be fairly. In, uh, uh, I find GMing to be pretty uh, draining in terms of my social energy levels. So, if I'm doing that every week without any appropriate recharge time in between, it's not. It's not sustainable. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But for people who love to talk, God bless them. Go right ahead. And I do love to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, no, and honestly, uh, you know, I've always, when you've run, uh, things at Carnage, um, I've always felt that you've always walked away kind of, uh, satisfied with. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly never satisfied. I always think I can do better. Well, you can always think you can do better, but you're like, okay, the amount of work I put in to what I just got out of it was relatively appropriate. Yeah, or... Mm. 
I, 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 front, I do a lot of development, or I don't know if they call it development work, but I start thinking pretty early about current convention adventures. Right. Just because it takes me so long to actually get it all written down. But uh, I've, I, I'm happy if the players are happy. And when they say they're happy, that's the, the sort of justification and reward that I'm looking for. Right. Whereas, I mean, occasionally there's situations like the situation this year where Gaylord and I ran our game uh, and, and crossed over, mm-hmm. where the, the, the twist was the big thing for me. And I was excited to see how people reacted to the twist. Um, there was a lot of times when I run one shots at conventions, um, where I've in the past where I've run like D and D and stuff, I always walk out of it kind of feeling almost a little let down. Like I didn't get as much out of the work I put into it because I put so much more work into it than I need to. Right. Because it's just, I, it's how I am. I put in the amount of work I would for a campaign and it's a one shot. Right. And so I feel like I'm like, man, I didn't really get the high investment to, you yeah. know. But you have material to draw on for the future, at least. It's just you have to put it to work or in the long right. run it really feels like, oh, I did a lot and it did not pay off. Yeah, I, I just did a lot of work that didn't really pay off. Um, and, and that's just my own thinking process. You know, I'm happy that my players are happy and all that stuff. I'm just like, man, they could have been that happy with me doing about a third of the work I yep. just did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't have to put in that much effort. Yeah, you gotta, you got to learn to balance your efforts and direct your efforts. Right, Where and I have problems with that, which is why campaigning is better for me than one-shots, I think, a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, one-shots, I find it's helpful. You, just, you build your paragraph description. It's like, this is what we're going to talk about. Right. This is, this is going to be the content. I don't need to develop anything else. I just need to go deep into this. Right. Rather than going broad and being ready for, like, we're going to go to a different city and open a pawn shop. Right. Whereas I'm constantly prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Use a pawn shop NPCs up the wazoo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think the ages are going to show that in the great debate of campaign versus one shot, there was no winner. And and that's how it should be. That's, you know, how I want it to be. There should be no winner. This is something... Both sides have very good points. Mm-hmm. And in RPGs, there's no winners, period. That's right. Although I'm sure somebody's invented a win condition for some RPG just to prove that wrong. They have, actually. I've played in multiple win condition RPGs. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, do you have any closing thoughts on this, Ray? Uh, no, I encourage people who have never... GM'd before in any way, shape, or form to explore it and find out what works best for them. If it sounds interesting, you should try it. People yeah. are, you know, if you're in a play group, just be like, hey, can I do a one shot exactly. next week? Um, you know, and if you really enjoy, you know, if you do the one shot and you find out that you put in a ton of work into it and you didn't feel like there was a high reward, then maybe campaigning's better for you. And if you feel like you got exactly what you wanted out of it and you want to continue to explore it, then continue to explore it. Or campaigning may not be for you. You may need to to stick with the one shot and just zero in. And zero in. Like write less or write deeper on one thing. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I definitely encourage people. I know jamming's one of those big things that a lot of players are like, man, I don't know if I want to tackle that. Um, you know, tackle it in, in the sense of doing a one-shot or something like that. and mm-hmm. uh, make, a, make a slow entry. Uh, make it a controlled entry. Choose players you know aren't going to be problematic for you, but are going to be supportive. Yeah, choose players you know. You know, try to avoid the, the players that, you know, cause the headaches at the table. And You know, you, you have all the control in the situation as the GM, so create the situation that's going to work best for you. Exactly. 
And I, I definitely encourage people who are interested in GMing to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. There's so many resources out there. It's like one of the most discussed topics on the internet after uh, robots. Yeah, after robots. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and if you have any questions for Tyler or I, again, uh, please contact us. You can send us an email at podcast at carnagecon.com. Yep. And, uh, and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, facebook.com slash carnagecon uh, where we mostly talk about the convention uh, and and other interesting gaming things that are going on around the internet uh, twitter.com slash carnagecon as well you should follow us there tweet at us um, and uh, stay tuned for more episodes talking about board games role-playing games and uh, the convention the carnage convention itself yeah see you next time Ray see you next time Tyler You've been listening to Carnage Cast, a production of NNEG LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit us at www.carnagecon.com.